And there you have it. You are not alone. Welcome, everyone, to the, Sh- the Road to Recovery. I'm your host, Dan Chuba, coming to you live from my real estate offices in West Chicago, Illinois. And we're broadcasting this message to the world, anybody that's willing to listen to it. And hopefully uh, you're tuning in if, for the first time. Welcome. Uh, if you are a repeat listener, and I know we have a few of you guys out there, thank you. Um, the premise of the show. What is the premise of the road? This road to recovery show. Um, you know what? Keeping it real, keeping it honest. I'm a recovering alcoholic. 23 years, seven months, 
in 14 days today. But who's counting? I am. Let's have a little day for me, okay? But it's not necessarily a celebration of the length of time, but what I've been able to do with all those 24 hours that I've been able to put together in my life, and I'm grateful because, now I want you to understand this. This is the premise of what we're talking about, and we're going to be continuing to talk about this evening and every other show and the last seven years that we've done this program here on Blog Talk Radio, is that I don't have and I didn't have a drinking problem, even though I was an alcoholic, an active drinking alcoholic. I really didn't have a drinking problem. And you're sitting there maybe scratching your head. If you've never heard this before, never heard it said, those of you you have, then you understand what I'm trying to say here. I didn't have a drinking problem. I had a thinking problem. A thinking problem. Think about that for a moment. Think about the thinking problem about that. You know, my best thinking got me drinking. Yeah, I didn't start drinking until I was at a age in my teens, and I found it as an incredible way to build courage, to help overcome my fear of, uh, of meeting people, to uh, improve what I believed it improved, my stamina in, in, in the midst of my peers, um, just a whole bunch of crazy thinking. And I, I, at that time, I was insecure and frightened and pensive and shy. And when I drank and I got drunk, you know, and I, it started to give me that liquid courage, you know, that liquid courage that some of us can relate to. And not just alcohol, but drugs. Drugs escaped. It took me... Drugs take people, escape, help us escape from the present moment. And is it really the present moment that's difficult to deal with? Well, no, but once we find a way that seems to be even more exciting, we seem to gravitate towards that, and that's what develops into the addictive part of it, where we want to continue to escape to that little place in our heads where you know, like that theme on, on where everybody knows your name. Well, you know, you become your best friend in your head. And you don't have to worry about judgment from anybody because you are the judge, the jury, and I don't want to say the executioner, but you execute whatever you're planning to do. The only part of it, though, is that we don't have to necessarily accept responsibility or we don't believe we do. And I, that's how it was for me. I was around enough people that drank and got drunk at that age of my life where people would say, oh, they've been drinking, they've been drinking, they've been drinking. So if I did something bad, I'd say it was because I was drinking. I did take credit for all the good things that happened to me and said, hey, it's me. It's all me. Okay? So that is the premise of this show, to talk about what it was like when we were out there caught up in an addiction, what happened to get us to realize that the life we were living at that moment was out of control, unmanageable, and what we did to do to put a stop to it, and then how we live our life. Because guess what, folks? Even though I stopped the alcohol, 
my brain hasn't stopped thinking. Okay? Now, this is a live show, and you, the listener, are welcome to call in at any point to share a thought, ask a question, I don't know, whatever. Maybe you have a story you want to share. And you can do that. We'll be on the air for the next two hours here on Blog Talk Radio. And the phone number to call in is area code 323-580-5755. I also realized tonight that the Game of Thrones, I don't know if it's the final show or the final season of shows or whatever, but it's going to be on and we probably won't have all you listeners that we may have. But it's okay because this show is actually archived and you can play it later. Now, again, tonight, build up. We had a guest planned, Miss Clea, Cleora, Cleora. I didn't even know how to pronounce that. I was asking, wondering if she could pronounce it. And I confirmed with Miss Cleora. She was. This is her third attempt at being on the show. She had to cancel two other times. I called her today. I did something I don't normally do. I actually called ahead and said, hey, remind you that we're going to be on the air tonight. She sent back saying, hey, thanks for the reminder. I know. I'm ready to go. However, guess what? Fifteen minutes ago, she sent me a text saying that uh, she is involved in some physical pain with her back and I know she has some physical issues, et cetera, from an accident she had. But long story short, she is not going to be on the air after all tonight. So third time, it's not happening. So we're just going to keep the door to Miss Cleora. If she ever wants to join us, we would love to have her on because she does so many incredible things for people in recovery out in the California area. Uh, that's where she's from. I met her on Facebook, and she is incredible. So if you ever want to look her up, C-L-E-O-R-A, Cleora. But, you know, it also brings to mind something very important. Now, I don't know if it was actually the physical issue that she was dealing with. I, I should accept her at that. However, this is the third time she's been canceled on us. And it could be the pressure she may feel or she put herself under a celebrity. Like, she may think that we have some incredibly big expectations of her. And I don't. I mean, I would like her to show up, you know, and I'd like to hear her talk and tell her story. And that's the best and the only thing that I could ask for somebody in recovery working a program to do is to just share their story. We're not looking for someone to come in here and tell the world what to do, how to overcome your addictions, because that's not what we're about. The road to recovery is a road that we follow and we share with you, the listener. I'm in recovery. I work at it. Oh, my gosh, my poor brain. My, here, I'm going to announce one more, not announce, I'm, I'm re- reconfirming that I'm actually getting married. That's correct. On May 11th this year, that's less than a month away now. Countdown to my marriage, okay? Now, the thing about this marriage is it's not my first marriage, so it's not my first rodeo. It's actually my fourth marriage, okay? Something that I'm not really proud of in the context of the number, but I am proud to say that I really believe I found the right mate for myself this time, okay? 
something I didn't even bother really giving a lot of consideration the three previous times because I was caught up into that thinking, that stinking thinking, and I was drinking. I won't say I was drinking a lot, but enough that it impacted my decision-making process at a young age. I got married the first time I was 19. My wife just turned 17, and we had a child on the way. You know what? And when you look back today, I, I didn't realize, but, you know, I could have probably been arrested for sexual assault of a, of a minor, 17. I don't know if that was legal or whatever, because we obviously were involved physically before she turned 17, and I was, what, 19, 18, 19 when we met. But she was an incredibly intelligent, she was an incredibly mature person for that age. And I was incredibly drawn to her, okay? And we both had stories and problems and issues going on in her life, but we were both dealing with them. And I found her to be so mature and so accepting. And we were so busy telling each other about each other's stories that we didn't know better to run, (laughs) to run. Instead, what we did was we welcomed each other into each other's lives, and so we brought each of us with our craziness and our ability to be calm, for the most part at the time, but we brought each other's craziness into each other's life, and it really did get even crazier. We went on to have two children, my first marriage. Yes, and I'm grateful. I still have a, a relationship somewhat with my first wife, Um Part of it I want. I don't want to get into the the negative aspects of it. And my daughters. I love my daughters. I have two daughters, Jessica and Natalie on the West Coast. And I have always been an arm's length father. In fact, they actually were adopted by her second husband because of situation and circumstances and whatever. But, you know, we're not getting into that tonight. Well, what I'm saying is that their father, the adopted one, did a really nice job of being a father, something that I was not good at, being a father. I didn't know how to be a father. I wasn't taught. I'm one of 13 kids. My father was out of control. He was, a, he was an out-of-control alcoholic that worked all the time. So his Im- image in the community was that, that he was a successful, you know, responsible individual that earned the right to drink out of control. And he had so many kids that at that time nobody wanted to take the parent away that was producing income and supporting them. They didn't want to take them away, so they just turned their back on a lot of the things that he did to the family members. And i got to tell you something. I have 12 siblings. Some have... Well, they're all alive. We all survived in our own way. But, yes, they, we still live with the scars of the actions that took place. But it was a very interesting thing this week because my mother just turned 90. Actually, she turned 90 in two days. But we had a party for her yesterday. My mother, 90th birthday. Now, i got to tell you something. It has taken me, and I'm in recovery 23 years, 7 months, and 14 days. And who's counting? I count every day. I do. I'm grateful that I didn't go out and drink. And in this world where there's so many different opportunities to drink and drug and, you know, escape, because the world is just spinning so much faster. Do you find it that it goes faster and faster and faster? 
And how do you handle it? How do you, the listener, how do you handle the overwhelming feel it has? To me, it does. Sometimes I feel overwhelmed. And yet, it's amazing how I put myself in a position. I own a real estate company. I have many people. I have a dozen people that work for me. I train them. I help them. I do my own business. And for the most part, I'm always broke because my money, as my friends say, that I'm just a really good guy that gives most of my money away somehow, some way, because I'm trying to help the world. You know what? And that's okay. God has taken care of me and given me everything I needed. I'm not without blessings, lots and lots of blessings. You know, when I look back where I was at 23 years, 7 months, and 14 days ago, I was flat broke. I was financially broke. I was morally broke. I was spiritually broke. I was emotionally broke, psychologically broke. I was really screwed. I wanted to die so bad. I was going through my third divorce. Talk about feeling unloved. When you're going through one divorce, that's horrible. Going through a third one, it's like, what's going on? What is going on? And I no longer could look around and say, it's somebody else's fault. I could, but I didn't, thank God. Thank God I finally accepted responsibility for my poor actions. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever had bad actions, made bad decisions, but I made a ton of them. I made a ton of really good ones, too, and I was a nice guy making bad mistakes, stupid mistakes. I had two DUIs, one in 1991 and one in 1993. And I experienced that whole, what you don't know until you go through what it is like to get a DUI. The first time, it's amazing. It is really amazing how light, uh, how lightly, I took it, and all the people around me, and all the support. It's such a money-making business when you get a DUI, and they put you in the legal system, and you know the fines, and then you've got to go through the classes and the programs. I don't know that I learned anything other than that they showed me a movie that was probably made 40 years earlier, and it looked ridiculous, and it just added to my less than sincere attitude I took towards the whole thing. I didn't, I didn't take it really seriously. I got this DUI. Most people said, "Oh well, you know, everybody should have got a DUI. Everybody should get, you know, it's what's no big deal." I lost my driver's license for 30 days. The driving privileges for 30 days. Okay, couldn't drive. Um, and then I went to court, and I had a ju- I, I had an attorney that said, oh, we could beat this, we could beat this, we could beat this. We go to court. We're in front of the judge. And then he goes, well, I'm not sure we can beat this. I'm not sure. I'm like, what? You just told me we can beat this. We can beat this. Well, I'm not sure we can beat it. I'm like, okay, what do we do? Here I'm asking this attorney who, on one hand, had me convinced that we could beat this for a multitude of reasons. Because, you know, we always want to beat the criminal thing. The aspect was, the truth was, I was guilty. I was driving under the influence of alcohol, and I should not have been driving that night at all. 
Plus, I had my young son with me. At the time, he was about four years old, cute as can be. You know, I was just concluding, you know, I had just concluded more or less a divorce from his mother that took forever. And, of course, I had to call her up to say, listen, come and get our son because I didn't want him going into a foster care for the moment or into any type of other thing. So it's one of the few times that I spoke with his mother since we divorced and said, listen, come pick up our son. I got arrested for a DUI. Okay. And uh, and she did. She figured out some way. I don't know if she did. I don't even know because I was I was out of it. I was I was drunk. And uh, I had one of my brothers come pick me up, take me home. And I uh, yeah. So then I go to court thinking I'm going to beat this all the time. Beating. I'm going to beat it. I'm going to beat it. I'm with the, the attorney. You're going to beat it. We're going to beat it. We. And then like not five minutes from the from the court, he goes, I don't think we can beat it. And then I said, really? Really? So then two minutes later, he goes, well, no, no, maybe we can't be it. We can't be it. I'm like, oh, my God. It's almost like uh, tonight, my guest calling me, you know, 15 minutes before the show and saying, hey, I'm not going to be able to be on the show. I'm so used to it. Before, it frightened the holy hell out of me. I'm like, oh, my God, here's a guy I'm supposed to be believing in, depending on, and you know, I don't know what's going to happen to my life if I get this DUI, what it's going to do to my uh, privileges of driving and insurance rates and going through a divorce and blah, 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 all these things. Mine's filled with all kinds of crazy stuff. So we go in front of the judge and we plead guilty and the judge says, well, I'll give you, a, you know, probation or something, you know, and, and, you know, no time and, you know. So and the attorney goes, well, there you go. Wasn't that bad, was it? And I'm looking at him going, Really? All this time you've been telling me we could, I even said that to him. And he said, well, you know, you just never know about these judges. No, I don't know about you. You One minute, I mean, if you would have said this to me in the beginning, maybe that, you know. It's not what we said, it's how it took place and happened. That, you know, you're going forward, you're going forward, and all of a sudden a change of plans. You ever have that change of plans, major change of plans? Oh, my God. Oh, well, it happens, and we survive. We all survive. Isn't that amazing? So I have 12 siblings that grew up under the wrath of my father, under the, the undercaring and underprotection of my mother. But you know what? It took me a long time after getting sober to really believe and understand it and truly forgive my dad. It took me 18 years, and... In the program, on this show, talking, okay, 18 years, so that's what, five years ago on this show, I finally learned to forgive my father. After two years of doing this show, I was so hateful and angry. I carried it around for years. It was incredible how much hatred and hurt that I hung on to. And did you ever hear that saying? Would you let somebody rent your house or your apartment for free, and you go, no, because you've got costs and expenses, and, you know, it's just not right. Well, I mean, you know what I mean. But why would we let people rest in our thoughts? And I did for years and years and years. There were times this brain worked overtime, and I was sober. So you can imagine when I was drinking what was going on through my head. 
I wasn't always present in the here and the now. I was I was lost in thought. I was lost in and and the need for vengeance. The need for justice. You know, believe really I really don't believe in religion. I think religion has a place and it, it is good for certain people to have religion because you know, the community of, of, of church is a good thing. It's not for me. I don't know how to function in that. I tried for years and years. The program of recovery, working a program in AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and this is not, by the way, this is not an Alcoholic Anonymous program. This is just the road to recovery hosted by me, okay, coming out from under my rock, coming out from anonymity to let people know that I'm a human being that makes mistakes, and that I work at getting better. Now, I'm grateful that I did not cause any kind of damage or destruction when I was driving my vehicle. Ha. I did so much damage and destruction outside of my vehicle, though. Three failed marriages, my inability to handle my anger when I was out there, and on and on. I don't know who had it worse, my, me, raised by my father, or my own daughters and son. I have a son, too, from my second marriage. That was a marriage that everybody told me to run from. Don't get married. Everybody said that. Everybody. There was not one person that was supportive of us getting married. Why did I do it? Because it was caught up in the drugs and the alcohol, mostly alcohol, and it fed my insecurities. And there was other dynamics going on at the same time. This woman happened to have two kids that were the same age of my two daughters. She had two daughters and I had two daughters. And my first wife, my first wife, after we divorced, and why did we get divorced? Because her father told her to. Her father, who was not present in her life most of that time, came along because I needed somebody. We needed somebody to sign for her to get married, and her mother was not going to do it. Her mother wasn't mentally well, really. And she was living with her mother, and she was in charge of the household at the age of 16, yes. And she had a little brother who was like 9 or 10 at the time. And another brother who was a little bit older at the time. And he was not really well. But she brought her father back in her life to sign the permission slip for us to get married. And then all of a sudden the guy decides to be a part of her life. Which, how can you, how can you uh, turn that away? It's her father. And her father kept telling her, why do you want to be married? Dump the guy. Get divorced. He works too much. I was working a lot. I didn't know how to not work. I didn't know how to sit still. <laughs> I, can, I can tell you funny stories. And they are funny. They're sad stories, but they are stories nonetheless. Long story short, we got divorced. And, you know, I didn't know any better. I still loved her. Part of me was happy. I was single. My friends all told me, why did you get married, man? So while I'm getting divorced, all my friends are getting married now. What? Really? Yeah, when I was getting married, all my friends were single, having great times. 
I never was in the right step with anything, I don't believe, most of my life. Pretty pretty out of sync, but whatever. Then I meet my second wife. She was just somebody to date. She was beautiful. I thought out of my league, okay, because I did not have a very good belief or an image of myself. Really, I didn't. I did a lot of things, but I just I didn't. I didn't like myself. I didn't love myself. You ever find that? You ever experience that? You know, if you ever meet somebody, and they're out there, that love themselves, you, you see it. They show up present. They, they, they show up totally different. But if, if they don't love themselves, like I didn't, we show up a totally different way as well. And we are in a very, we, I was very insecure. And I found somebody who said she loved me. And I thought, wow, this is great. And she had two daughters. And my first wife, after we got divorced, she had never saw anybody I ever dated. I never brought my dates around. They were just women I dated. They were nice. They were friendly, personable, but they weren't serious. And this one, I could feel a little serious, more serious about, I thought, at that time. I didn't know her really well. We were in that posturing state, trying to find each other and figure it out. And she had the two daughters, and I thought it would be great. We could all go out to the lake together. The second, the, the second wife, her folks had a lake up in uh, a lake house in Lake Geneva. So we were going up there. Took my daughters. We all went up there, the four, four six of us. Went up there, had a great time. Okay, that really upset my first wife. To the point where she was just upset. She was jealous. She was, I don't know, she was angry. And I really didn't care at that time because I was having a good time. But what happened was she was able to get me in a financial squeeze and threaten to bring legal action on me financially if I didn't relinquish custody of my children to her husband. I'm like, well, that's stupid. Why would I do that? She said, well, they're girls. They're going to change their name anyway. You're going to lose them anyway in that regard. But you can continue to see them. It just gives her current husband a legal right and and at a time where she said that their relationship was precarious and this would strengthen it and, and make it make it work. Now, I, I didn't really care about that necessarily, but I didn't want my, my daughters to go through a mess. That wasn't good, another mess. But I didn't want legal action brought on me, so I went ahead and agreed to let him adopt the, the girls. Begrudgingly, I'm not going to tell you I did it you know, willfully and wantonly, but, you know, you have to sign these things saying that you you know what's going on and you do it and under the threat of the whatever, you know, you're going to, this is going to happen. And long story short, I went ahead and let him adopt them. And I continue to see my daughters until, until my ex-wife decided that it was no longer good for me to do that. And since I relinquished my legal rights, okay, that she felt it was in the best interest of my daughters that I never see them again. I was <laughs> like, what? 
And when I argued this, she said, there's nothing I could do. I legally signed away their rights, and if I didn't go away, she would bring, bring legal action on me. I got to tell you something. That was one of the hardest times in my life to know that I was seeing my daughters for the last time and was told that I could never see them again and that because I did that. And, oh, talking about beating yourself up, talking about head trauma and issues. Now, now the reason why I'm telling you is I'm not looking for sympathy because I got through all that. And every, that's life. Everything's good. You know, I'm, I'm great. I'm doing great now. But imagine other people and their circumstances and situations where you would never would have guessed it if you saw them. People wouldn't have guessed that's what I was going through. Some of them to this day have no clue on what happened and why, but have made assumptions and determinations about me and how they were going to show up with me without really knowing me. I had to laugh. I, I don't know if you remember I was telling you that I met my, you know, my lovely Miss Martha is, the, is my fiancé. We're getting married May 11th. That's in like less than a month. And she wanted me to meet her financial planner because, you know, unlike me, Martha knows how to manage her money. And she doesn't overspend. I'm an overspender, okay? I don't know how to keep it in my pants. And I'm talking money too, okay? All right? So we meet her financial planner. Now, first of all, i got to tell you, I've never answered anybody financially because it's my, my business. I didn't think it's anybody else's business, so I, I, I don't know that I need to explain myself to anybody. But here I am meeting the lovely Miss Martha's financial planner, and he tells me, he asks me, so tell me all about your stuff. And I'm like, why would I want to tell you about my stuff? If I want to do that, I would have got my own financial planner. Which, in all fairness, I did try a couple times, and they told me, Dan, you have no finances to plan. <laughs> You're broke. No, broke in debt. In fact, I said, a joke was often, I look for the day that I'm broke, when I don't owe anybody any money. I don't have to have money, but just not owe people money. That would be great. And I'm nearing that. Believe it or not, at this point in my life, I'm actually nearing it. I actually have enough assets right now to cover my debts. So if something happened, I'd be broke. And that's okay. I would no money, and the, my debts would be paid off. And that's a good thing. Okay, so that wasn't always the case. All right, but that's where I'm at now. I'm back on my feet a little bit. But so this guy says to me, tell me what's up. So I start sharing some things, and then I'm thinking to myself, I'm trying to cooperate and get along, but... You know, I'm watching this guy's facial expressions and feeling very uncomfortable because I'm not painting a very sound financial picture for this guy. And number one, you ladies definitely deserve sound financial finances in life, whatever. Not that you can't bring them along, and the lovely Miss Martha has her share of sound finances. I make do in my life. It's not like I had an incredible, uh, you know, house and all this. But, you know, I, I had a car. I had a place to live. My, I had food. I had a future. Martha has much more stability financially than I do. Good for her. And she's willing to share it with me, and that's even great. But I really don't want 
for money or anything. That's not important to me. And if I ever die with money, I'm giving it all to Martha, not to my kids. I'm going to spend my grandchildren's inheritance. I'm going to not give any. My kids need to make it on their own. And with that statement, I know that I put some distance with my son years ago. Because when I told him, his his mother and her side of the family, they're all about inheriting and who's getting what and when. And they plan this out. His family, his mother's family plans this out years, decades in advance before people die and start marking and making territorial claims on, on possessions. It's pretty pathetic in my book. I don't know if that's a normal thing, but I didn't find it. So, But when I told my son that no matter what I had in life, if something happened to me and I passed away, he would get nothing. I would give it to anybody but my kids. Not anybody, but I wasn't going to give it to my kids. I said, you've got to earn it on your own. You've got to make it yourself, Okay, which really upset him. And he got angry. And uh, we unfortunately put some distance between us for years. But such is life, okay? Again, nobody ever taught me how to be a dad. You don't, you're not born to be a dad. You learn from the people around you. Kudos to any one of you that were around people like the lovely Miss Martha and her family because she was taught with love and care and, 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 you know, devotion and all that stuff where I was raised in hell under the guise of you ought to be lucky, okay? And I'm grateful. I had food, always had food. I always had a place to sleep. But I was put to child labor at a young age, and we slaved for my family, for my father, who was mean and malicious most of the time. And treated us worse than, I don't know, he was, he was more friendly to other people than we were to family. And being around, you know, for my mom's anniversary or her, her, her birthday party yesterday was pretty fascinating because, you know what, those people that have now advanced in age and life, are coming out and willing to talk a little bit more about what we went through, you know, because of my father. And it was a big taboo for years. They didn't want to talk about it. Nobody wanted to talk about what my father did and how he showed up in life, etc. Okay? And, again, um, it's amazing. Secrets, 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 secrets. It's amazing how around the disease of addiction, secret, secret, secret seems to prevail. You know, that's kind of the uh, mantra. Let's keep it a secret. Let's not let people see who we are, what we are, that we are related to this, that they we're having problems, challenges. While, guess what? The greatest thing we can do is to expose the addict. Expose the addiction. Not in a hurtful way. But the more light you shine on that situation, when we take it out of the darkness of denial and put it in the light of acceptance, then we can really get recovery. We 
can really get recovery. And a lot of people don't understand that. You know, it's easy. It's so easy for us to berate a drug addict, berate an alcoholic. I was one of them. I did for years, even when I sobered up, because they weren't one of me. You know, I was going to say today we were going to talk about celebrity in recovery. And I don't want anybody here to think that I'm some incredible person. I'm very grateful, and, and maybe it's exciting that I was able to string together 23 years, 7 months, and 14 days. But you don't have to get that excited about it because I am. I live each day, and I'm excited that I, I got it through another day. Believe me, my brain works overtime. The lovely Miss Martha says, man, where do you come up with some of this stuff? She is so loving and so accepting about what comes out of my mouth sometimes. It's amazing. My brain works over it. I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't get back to sleep. I'm thinking of clients. I'm thinking about customers. I'm thinking about this and about that. Things that I'm totally powerless over. And sometimes I have to remember the first step. We admitted, so I'm not alone, but we admitted we were powerless over what? We are powerless over alcohol. We are powerless over drugs. We are powerless over the weather. Who had control over the weather today? Because if you did, you let this happen here in Chicago, holy cow. But you know what? The cool thing is that tomorrow's going to be 50, almost 60 degrees. So the snow that we experience today will be gone. We are through the most perfect part. Just like my recovery. I, the hardest part of my recovery was the first day that I said, I can no longer, I don't want to do this anymore. I made a decision that was healthy for me. I made a decision to not drink just for that day. It was a decision that I made, one of the best decisions I ever made. And I have made 23 years, 7 months, and 14 days of sound decisions as it relates to keeping alcohol out of my system. That's the best I can tell you. That's one of the reasons why I have a hard time in church. Because in church, the, the mood, the atmosphere is one of piety, of supposed love for our, our neighbor. Here I'm looking at this young girl who looked unhappy as hell, yet when we did the sign of peace to each other, she went from a scowl to a, hi, how are you? Nice to see you. And then went back to a scowl. <laughs> Just don't get it. Whereas in recovery, I love the fact that I'm an alcoholic. I love the fact that I found recovery and that I'm no longer an active drinking alcoholic. But I am an alcoholic because I've got all the tendencies that an alcoholic has. I just don't put alcohol in it because it's like makes my mind crazy or crazier and I'm grateful for that but again going to church I don't I don't feel comfortable candidly I looked I was in church today watching the lovely Miss Martha ring bells she's an incredible bell ringer and she sings the choir and I go to church to support her she likes to know that I'm there cheering around, and I am. I'm cheering. I love listening to her sing and and the bells play, and she's just so happy to, you know, show off to let the world know that I love her. 
that she found someone who loves her. She was a mature person. We're both mature. She's a widow. She has been single for over 10 years since her husband died. It was a sudden death, unplanned, unexpected. I'm the only guy she's dated since then. Talking about the Lord bringing us together. Definitely a... That definitely had to be a Jesus thing. I'm grateful. I am grateful and appreciative. And I am very fortunate that I have such an incredible person in my life. And, but I, I just don't feel comfortable in the church and the services. I, I like to sing when I'm off in myself. You know, I don't want to join the choir. I don't have time for another commitment. I have too many things going on. Yet I do like to sing, but again, I did that with another church in churches, and while it was good, I just don't want to get into the politics of people in church. That's what I don't want. So it's easier for me to just keep it at a distance. And I like the fact that I really feel doing what I'm doing tonight, doing what I do to help other people get through their issues, as it relates to addictions, I feel it's my calling. And it gives me the greatest feeling and the sense of belonging, far greater than, what, doing real estate. Real estate, it's a job. I like it. I like the when it works out, when you help people out and, it, and that works, do. But you know what? i got to deal with people. And let me tell you something. If you deal with people, which we probably all do, It can be a bit on the challenging side, can't it? Absolutely, positively. So, there's no celebrity in recovery. Every time somebody steps up and wants to claim celebrity, how about that guy that became a spokesperson for, I guess, Oprah, whatever. You know, I, my heart went out for him because he went from, you know, Caught up in an addiction. You just don't walk away from alcoholism. You just don't walk away from a drug addiction. You can take away the drugs. You can take away the alcohol, but the addiction and the the disease part is still there. It takes time. Insecurity is an incredible thing to overcome. I'm not going to tell you I've overcome all of it, but I've overcome quite a bit of it. And how did I do it? Well, with the help of the 12 steps of recovery, with the help of people that I run into in the program in recovery, a sponsor for many, many years who was very effective and helpful, and in addition, some professional individuals that came along and helped me out, and a whole lot of friends that loved me and cared enough about me to reach out and offer me opportunities to grow. I even had a hypnotherapist that I met here doing this show. That I, I, you know, I, I hired his services for about six months. Very effective to help me process through some issues that I still needed to. And do I have more? Oh, my God. Unfortunately, I have lots of them. This has been an incredibly challenging week for me. I don't know if you remember two weeks ago, somebody threw a brick 
a, a, not a brick. Okay, let me let me put it in proper perspective. About the size of a hockey puck, maybe a little bit bigger. A piece of pavement <coughs> was thrown through one of the thermal pane windows of my office at the direction of me in the back here on a night I was doing this show at 8.30, by the way, with the lights on and knowing that I was here in the office, they threw it against the window. We found it on outside. Now, why? Obviously, I'm not the most loved person in the world. I could be a real prick. I'm not going to tell you I can't, but usually I'd like to think that I'm only, like, tough when people deserve it. I don't know. Do people deserve to be tough? Maybe a little bit more tough than, or less tough than, than I I sometimes can be. I'd like to think I'm a nice guy. There are a lot of people that feel that way, but I could be a prick. I'm not going to tell you. And maybe I've upset a few people. And that's why we don't have celebrities in recovery. Okay? Because today, I'm doing great. I'm on top of the world. Tomorrow, I might be in the doldrums. I might go out there and use and abuse and get my third DUI. And that would be horrible. I don't ever want that. Never. I don't want that. I know people who just got one, a third one. And how their life is going to be affected, the cost. I got another guy that I know who has had a multiple DUI. And he's in jail. I don't think he's been let out of jail yet. And the mess that he's got right now with some real estate property, I'm, uh, the, the smartest thing that I did in my life up to that moment, no, not the only smartest thing, but one of them, was to stay out of his business. And, and I was right there, and I could have put myself back into that business, but that would have been embracing crazy. And I don't need crazy in my life. Not anymore. I let other people have it. When I have a choice to lend it out to somebody else, let them have it. I don't want it. I had enough crazy as it is. Okay? How about you? Have you had enough crazy in your life? Okay, if you haven't, you know, go for it. Why not, right? A lot of crazy stuff out there. No. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want crazy. We don't want crazy in life. Not at all. Uh, let's see here. Let me heal three months. So, pretty quiet out there tonight. Nobody has anything to say, share. I want to shout out to Steve. And I want to let you know that uh, I'm expecting an incredible guest on May 5th. Not yeah, May 5th, two weeks from today, I have this woman in her 80s that's going to come on the air that I don't know how to best explain it to you, but she lived a hard life. And there is a, a kindred between the two of us listening to her story and my story, and she's got an incredible story to tell. And why do we tell it? Why do we want to share it on the air? Well, number one, the most important reason is because, why do I do this show? It's because I get better. I need it. I need this show. I need to escape to the show to share 
all that crazy stuff going in my head. I think about the program every day, most of the time, what we're going to do on the air so that, okay, I can, uh, um, yes, so when did that happen? Let's see. Yeah. Again, crazy, crazy, and crazy. Okay? And we do it because we grow when we share. That's how how people overcome their their addictions and their problems is by sharing it. Again, remember, the more exposure that we add to it, the 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 light of Acceptance, the light of acceptance will help people to grow. When we hide and we scurry off into the darkness of denial and we hide like little rodents and hide in the darkness, you know, our our disease festers. It has a greater chance of growing bigger if we hide it. But when we expose it, when we expose it, you know, most of the times, a lot of people would change their way of life, their habits, if they knew. You know, we don't even necessarily believe that anybody knows what's going on in our lives. Yet, the amazing part, when I was caught up in my addiction, the only one that really didn't know I had a problem was me. Or at least I didn't believe anybody else saw that I had a problem, but pretty much everybody saw that I had. I was just in big denial that anybody really saw it. And when they finally say, you know, what was I watching? I was watching a movie the other day. It was a dumb movie, but uh, somebody was hiding in plain daylight and was coaching the person what to say, kind of like a Cyrenol to Bergerac. And, uh, and the person that he was saying, the, the one guy was saying the words to, said, you know, I see the guy talking. I could see his lips moving. I could hear him. It's not like he's hiding anywhere. <laughs> that was like me. It's like most alcoholics and drug addicts. We think we're hiding, but we're not. We're in clear, bright day. Everybody sees it. The only one that we don't think sees it is us. It's amazing. Okay, we have been rapping. I have been rapping. I have been nonstop rapping for about an hour now. We're coming up to the 8 o'clock hour, at which point I usually turn it over to the uh, Marilyn Scott and her wonderful voice singing uh, If Today Was the Last of All Days. I love her song, but she has a couple other songs, and, you know, we let it go to, to, to voice, to, the, to listen to her singing, unless somebody wants to call in. Area code 323-580-5755. I want to give a shout-out to Steve-O, who helps me with the show. We talked to Kenny tonight. I haven't heard from Kenny in a while. Kenny's in Florida enjoying his um, retirement from the airlines. And Kenny has about two years more sobriety than I do. Keeps working a program, which is great. Always love hearing him. He's a very smart guy. And he's also enjoying his retirement. And he just had his uh, what, ankles rebuilt. Oh, my gosh. He was, in, he was down and out for almost six months, I believe, on getting ankles rebuilt, but now he has his, I think he's okay, and that's a beautiful thing, so 
We said hi to Kenny. He may be joining us in the next week or so. May 5th, you really have to tune in. Two weeks. We're going to be on the air next week. I don't know how long. It's uh, Easter Sunday. Unless I really have something to talk about, we might do a shortened version of the show. We definitely will not be on May 12th unless uh, unless I could talk to Kenny to come and do the show with his son. And it's a possibility. He said he, he might consider it. It'll be the first time anybody other than myself has done the show without me for in seven years. And then on the 19th of May, we have a very special guest coming, someone who experienced loss. They lost their, their daughter, who was in the prime of her life due to a young man on meth, methamphetamines. And if you don't think that's a problem, methamphetamines, you think it's only the next door, you know, it's somebody else's problem only in the inner city, et cetera. Well, no, this is the suburbs, the affluent suburbs. This kid was on meth, and he pulled in front of this girl driving her motorcycle, and she died in the resulting accident. And just a, a lost life that was just so unnecessary. Is any loss necessary? But here, this girl—I went to her wake, and it was—it was horrible. It was beautiful on one hand, but horrible to see the impact. How many people would be impacted by the loss of this young lady? She was in love. She was experiencing love. Found some guy, and and he lost her. Her family—not to mention the family who loved the hell out of her. Well, mom's going to be coming and joining us on May 19th to talk about that, and I'm sure it's going to be filled with all kinds of emotional passion. But when we talked, we're not looking at a sense of voyeurism. We're looking to grow. For those of you that know somebody who was impacted by somebody else to death, whether the the addict, the alcoholic, or whatever, or experienced some traumatic thing. I've, I've got a friend who literally gambled her and her husband's nest egg. You know, you saw that on what, uh, across America with, uh, I forgot the guy's name, and the woman had a gambling disease. Well, she gambled away the nest egg, and, and uh, well, my friend did too. Over $450,000, something like that. How do you go on? And yet they do. And yet she is still with her husband. She is, I believe, in program, going to Gamblers Anonymous. There's a lot of different programs. The, the, the addiction is the disease. And we are, as human beings on this earth, mentally deficient. Maybe not all of us to the degree that the others are. But I can speak for myself that I got some screws loose, okay? I'm not going to tell you I don't. doesn't mean I can't do a good job at other things. It can't, doesn't mean I can't be a responsible person. It just means I got to work harder at it sometimes, okay? And I definitely have to take my medicine. And what is my medicine? My medicine is to stay in this program and work a 12-step program on a day-to-day basis. My first and the only thing I got to do perfectly every day, and that is to stay sober. Stay sober, not to drink, not to drug. Stay sober. 
I want to shout out to my friend Anna in New York. I'm kind of hoping that we'll see you at our wedding. I don't know if you RSVP'd yet, but I did extend a, an invitation to join us, and I hope you can. Let's see, Bunny, my friend Bunny, who has lost both legs due to uh, diabetes. And she's still kicking. I don't know. She may or may not be uh, able to join us. She has no legs, but she had a good spirit. Her son was a guy I sponsored. I helped out. Tony was a great guy, a former police officer from Miami, actually, who became caught up in drugs. He went undercover to find the drug dealers and to, to bring them down, and in the process became a drug and alcoholic in the process where he had to quit. He just couldn't function and do his job anymore. And he ultimately died of an overdose of medications that were, I don't know, improperly prescribed to him or improperly taken by him, whatever, but he died. How sad. He was a great guy. Many people in life that I want to shout, do a shout-out to, but you know what? Every day we're on this earth, let's try and it's not easy, but let's try to let go of the bad things and hang on to the good things. Let's try to reach out and help somebody else that needs help and put our own woes and worries and woe is me on the side and do something positive for a change. I'm sure you're going to feel a whole lot better. I know that I have, and I know I will continue to be happier doing just that. One day, one step at a time. Now, let's see if we can find, I'm somewhere, I am looking for this. Here we are. We're going to play some Marilyn Scott. I'm going to take a 5, 10 minute, 15 minute break. Uh, you're listening to The Road to Recovery here on Blog Talk Radio, part of the linked local network of broadcasting. Now, I brought that up, by the way, because we are supposed to be changing where we're broadcasting from. That's correct. Mr. Fred McMurray, who is our leader, has uh, determined that we will be broadcasting from a new website. I don't know where or what, but I'm looking forward to it. So watch for it because uh, it should make it easier for us to get out to the multitudes, to be candid with you. And uh, that's what we're trying to do. It's just to be an easier easier way to get a hold of us because it's not easy to get a hold of this show. You really got to want to be here. But, you know, our listenership has been increasing. I don't know if, if we're getting the, the, uh, the people that need it the most. But I'm just, if you are, you're getting it. If not, well, you're not getting it. We'll, uh, we'll see. Let's see, where are we on yet? There we are. No, nope, I'm trying to just now. Let's see. Studio, how come? Well, now, what's this thing I'm listening to? They made it easier to do this? Oh, my gosh. Fred, you amaze me. Okay, I don't know. Fred's always amazing me. I don't know. I'm hoping that he makes it an easier thing for us to get. But listen, just sit back and enjoy a little Marilyn Scott when we try to figure out what we're doing here and how to get it done right because... I'm at a loss here, and sometimes I don't work this thing. But Marilyn Scott, last day here on the Road to Recovery.
today was the last of all days. Would it change how you feel who you are? Would you rise for a moment above all your fears? Become one with the moon and the stars. Would you like what you see looking down? Did you give everything that you could? Have you done everything that you wanted to do? Is there still so much more that you Today, we're the last. 
Thank <laughs> you. 
There's no such thing as a perfect writer. This is why I use Grammarly to check my work. If I'm putting...
guru. But you know what? I've been doing this show now for seven years. Just under, uh, We're just finishing up our seventh year in May. Holy cow. And I'm getting married in May. A lot of uh, exciting things going on in, in the world. And the most important thing, though, is that I have not had a drink in 23 years, seven months, and 14 days. Who's counting me? Yep, I'm counting every day. It's very exciting. You know, all kinds of things are going on in life, not things that I want to happen, not the way that I want them to happen, just going on nonetheless. And I'm grateful. That's all I can say is I'm grateful. You know, uh, attitude of gratitude is an important thing, and it is. It's it's really good. Uh, Oh, my gosh. Okay. Uh, okay, we'll have to answer that. Uh, you know, while we're doing the show, I'm getting all kinds of people calling about different things, real estate and all kinds of things. We do the show just, you know what, because it helps me. I needed it. I probably need a few meetings more this week because it's just been an incredibly rich world. A lot of things going on, and I'm not able to get everything done that I want to. I'm, I, I overcommitted again. i got to stop doing that. And for me to go home and do work, it's just not going to happen. I bring home work, and it stays in the basket. I have this basket, you know. I don't know. Sometimes you just have to keep the sanctity of your home, the sanctity of your home. So uh, next week is Easter. And I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if we're going to bring a show. I'm not really sure what's going on. I have to check with the lovely Miss Martha, see what our plans are. I might do a remote broadcast for a short period of time just to, uh, you know, remind everybody that recovery is an everyday thing. It's not, you know, select here and select there. It's every day. It's one day at a time, one step at a time. And you know what? It may be... Take some time, energy, and effort, but it really, really works. <coughs> and I'll tell you what, even this crappy week that I've had this past week, which was full of challenges and goofy things and not working out the way I wanted them to and whatever, it still was better than any day that I drank. You know what? Because I don't have to worry about the problems that I had back when I drank, that the uncertainty, the craziness, the crazy people. I don't have crazy in my life anymore. I can actually put distance from them. I can say no, you know. I can say just say no, okay? So such is life. That's a good thing. We're grateful for those kind of things. So, okay, one day, one step at a time. I think we're going to sign off early tonight, okay? I want to thank you guys for listening. If you did, if you were a first-time listener, I hope you got something out of it. If you were a repeat listener, I hope I uh, brought you another weekend of comfort and understanding of of a disease that that uh, has amazed and plagued people for centuries and, and probably will as long as we have uh, a brain in our heads you know it, it's a thinking disease and not a drinking disease not a drug disease pray for those people that need help you know it's easy to point fingers and say hey you know and uh, but it's even more courageous to uh, forgive them and uh, Forgive them because sometimes they just don't know what they're doing and they don't realize the impact. I don't know. Like, we're going to talk about uh, this, our guests, 
you know, uh, this kid who caused this death of this young girl, he's younger even. I, I don't know how he's going to handle that, how he's going to go through life knowing that his actions caused someone to die. I don't know that I could handle that. So, you know, let's send some prayers out to everybody. Let's, uh, you know, let's uh, let's go easy on each other. Let's help each other. Just remember, you know, we're all in this together. And something you do, an act of kindness you may do, may help somebody else out in life, okay? So remember, one day, one step at a time, take it uh, as you can. If you see somebody that needs help, maybe they need a hug or a hello, reach out. And step through your fears. I'm going to really work at it myself this year, this week. I'm going to, I think I'm going to go see if I can hit a couple meetings, you know, kind of get my chi back in balance here. Congratulations to Mike on another great job you did working the program. And, uh, you know, he's over one month again, and that's great. Um, never know what God's got in store for us. Okay, have a great week. Unless you have other plans, we'll see you next week here. I will start the show at least. I don't know how long I'll stay on the air, but we will be next week. And then remember, keep May 5th and May 19th in, in, in mind, because those are going to be really good shows if the guests show up, always if the guests show up. Okay, have a great week. Good night.